Let's get started. Heavenly Father, we, we pause and we bow before you, knowing that no matter what happens this morning, we're ultimately dependent on you to make our time productive and this meeting meaningful for us and fruitful. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being here and for considering important topics and pray for your blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we have a few more weeks. I think this is the third to the last week in the series. And um, we're going to be today, we're going to be talking about roles, marital roles. And um, and uh, something I called call vicing. That's a word I invented, so don't try to figure it out or look it up. But it is related to the word vice, like vice president. Okay, so first um, let's talk about marriage roles. Um, I think that uh, we've learned in our society that that uh, there's a lot of expectations that we have of what a woman should do and what a man should do and that in the context of marriage um, there are certain things that are considered women's work and other things that are considered men's work and I think um, there um, that's a natural thing that exists all over the world. But when you compare different cultures, you find that the roles are different in different cultures. Which helps us to see that they're not necessarily things that are embedded in our humanity, necessarily, not all of them anyway, but many are just cultural just a part of the way that in our culture we view things. And so, for instance, um, <clears throat> when uh, in times that I've been in Africa, I've been surprised to see certain things, like um, how a man would never think of carrying water. Now, in our society, we think, okay, Carrying heavy objects is one of the definitions of being a man, right? If, if uh, you know, there's something really heavy that has to be carried, well, call your husband. Let him carry it. Well, in, in Africa, the women travel long distances from the well carrying water on their heads. And a man would never think of doing that because he'd be laughed at by his peers as being effeminate. And, and so, you know, we look at that and we think it's strange. And they look at us and they think we're strange in certain ways. But the fact is, that's just a cultural thing. Um, likewise, in Africa, um, the, the men don't care for the little children. Um, even in Christian parts of Africa, 
the men aren't thought of as the nurturers in any way. Not just, you know, not being the primary nurturer, but not being in that role at all. Um, in Kenya, where um, when I was there, you know, I asked, what happens if a woman dies and her husband is left alone with the kids? Doesn't he then, you know, fill that role? And they said, oh, no. He would give the kids to a sister or a sister-in-law or some female in the extended family, and they would raise the kids, and he wouldn't raise the kids. Again, something very different than our society, um, than our culture, but that's just not something they do. Um, so it's really important that we realize that these kind of expectations of what a man should do and what a woman should do are largely cultural. Now, obviously, there's somewhat things that a man and a woman have to do. You know, a man can't carry a child in his womb because he has no womb. So, and he can't nurse the baby, no matter how hard he tries. And so there are things that obviously are God-instituted in terms of roles. But it's important also to realize that, that uh, many of the expectations we have are just a result of our cultural experience. And we, by osmosis, we just pick things up from the world around us. So that's the first thing to say about marriage roles. Um, now, when it comes to actually, you know, when you get married and you have to sort of sort out what he's going to do and what she's going to do, well, there's, there's obviously things he's good at and he likes to do that are natural for him to do. There are things she is good at and likes to do that are natural for her to do. There's a lot of things you don't have to worry about figuring out who's going to do it because that's obvious. And then there's certain things that nobody really feels like doing and nobody feels like they're particularly good at it. And you have to figure that out. And you figure that out not by um, asking, you know, um, who, um, not by saying, I'm not doing it. So if this is going to get done, you have to do it. That's not the right way to approach it. The fact is, Jesus taught us to be servants of one another. In every marriage, that is a part of the marriage, is serving one another in love. You know, Jesus got down on his hands, on his knees, and washed his disciples' feet. They were his inferiors. He was the superior. He was the Lord. He was the master. He was in charge of them. But he got down and he washed their feet. And then he said, Go and do likewise. So in the context of marriage, it is really important that we understand that even the ones who stand in a marriage context in the place of Christ, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Even the ones who stand in the place of Christ, they're called by Jesus himself to bow down and wash the feet of their wives. 
And so it's really important that the roles are not set by just who's in charge, by just you know who refuses to do it. That's not the way it should be done. Um, now there's some things that everybody's going to have to do that are unpleasant. And um, one of the things that's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine is people who are unwilling to get their hands dirty in doing lowly jobs, cleaning the toilet, changing the diaper, getting rid of the smashed bug that, that we just killed on the wall. You know, there's certain things getting in, like this uh, week, we had to clean out my son's uh, car to get it ready to give to another son because he's borrowing it, right? And he, my son who owns it is deployed in Africa, so he can't do it himself. And there was some pretty disgusting, if you know, you know, so you know enough about him, you know that what I'm talking about, there's some pretty disgusting corners of that car. My, my dear wife, she, you know, cleaned out all the paper out of the car, which is, which two big trash, kitchen trash bags worth. And, and there were some, you know how in the console there's often like little containers, they're just, they're little impressions in the plastic that you throw things into, coins. Well, he had three of those, and I don't know what was in there. It was almost like he put a bunch of junk and then poured honey over it and then let it sit for two years. I don't know what it was, but it was gunk, and it was, you know, disgusting, and it was full of stuff. And, you know, I had to go in there and, and get rid of all that stuff. I didn't want to give that over to my son, who's got a little two-year-old, you know, who's going to be toddling around the car. So, you know, we have to be willing to get our hands dirty. And and be willing to do the lowliest of jobs. If you, if you go into a marriage unwilling to do the lowliest of jobs, you're already in a, put yourself in a bad place in terms of your marriage. Now, uh, you know, so it's important that we're willing to do whatever and that when we're working on who's gonna do what, there does need to be definition. There has to be some definition in terms of who's going to do what. Um, you can't just have it all falling on one person. And that it needs to be something, there needs to be some equity in the situation. Um, and so that, so that you know, one person isn't carrying the whole burden. Now obviously, um, if one person's working full time and the other person's not working at all, then obviously the person who's not working at all is going to carry more of the household kind of duties um, because they're able to, if, if they're able to. I mean, assuming that they're not, that all other things are equal. But, um, you know, so you need wisdom and humility and a servant's heart to sort of sort all that out. Um, sometimes maybe you need to take turns. You know, this is my week to do the trash. This is your week to do the trash. Um, but always with a willing heart and, uh, and a desire to serve. If serving is something that you only do with a bad attitude, then you know, you're sowing seeds that are going to um, not 
produce good fruit in your marriage. It's going to produce bad fruit, thorns and thistles. So um, there's not, you know, there's really not a list of things I could say, this is what a woman should do and this is what a man should do. I know, you know, I, I enjoy cooking more than my wife enjoys cooking. Um, I don't cook as much as her because, because I'm not as available as she is, but, but I do enjoy it. So I, you know, that's, that's not a bad thing. She is more just naturally focused on the inside of the house, and I'm more naturally focused on the outside of the house. And so that's a natural way for us to do it. But other couples are different. Other couples, the man is much more focused on the inside of the house than the women on the outside. So um, you just have to structure it based on wisdom and based on uh, availability and based on talent and desire. Okay, now um, let, let me move and talk about what I call vicing. I don't know what else to call this. That's when I invite, invent words, is when I, there's no good word for this. But the fact is, everything that your spouse does, virtually everything that your spouse does, that's their responsibility, you need to be their backup. So, even if your spouse does all the cooking, you need to be able to cook you know, we've, we're coming up to 47 years of marriage. And I can tell you, there's plenty of times where you have to fill in for the other person. And there's no choice about it. You know, well, the other person just can't do what they usually do. You know, if I'm on a business trip and her car breaks down, she's got to figure out what to do with the car. And if she's sick in bed and the kids need to be fed, I need to figure out what to do. So I urge everyone to recognize that they are not only the father, they are the vice mother. And they're not only the mother, they're the vice father. So all the different areas of the household running, of the parenting, of the finances, every one of them needs, you need to be competent at. And that means that there's nothing that you should just say, oh, I stay away from that. That's not my department. Well, that's fine. It may not be to your department. But you're the vice deputy of that department, and therefore you better understand how it works in case you need to know. How many, um, how many couples, you know, the, fa the husband dies and the wife has no idea what's going on with the finances, with the insurance, with the bills. They haven't done anything to set up a situation where she can function because they never had a mind that he could be taken out of the picture. But the fact is, all of us can be taken out of the picture. And so we need to be ready to step in to do what the other person ordinarily does. So 
you know, take, take the discipline of the children. You can't just have one disciplinarian. That's unhealthy anyway. Because then you have the good cop, bad cop kind of thing often going on. Not a wise thing. You, you want both parents to be able to discipline. That doesn't mean that, that one doesn't do it more than the other. But they both should be competent and recognized as able to conduct discipline with the kids. Um, teaching kids the things of the Lord. It's very easy to you know, say, oh, that's his job, that's her job. It's really both jo- people's jobs. But even if one of them primarily is the one that does it, the other person needs to do it. For instance, let me tell you something. What if, you know, every day with the kids, you have family devotions, you read the Bible together, you sing, whatever, and dad leads it. Oh, what if dad's gone for a while? If mom doesn't fill in and continue, what message do the kids get? First of all, they get, this is just a dad thing. This isn't a Christian parent thing. This is a my dad thing. And it's therefore, it's optional. It's just my quirky father who wants to do this kind of stuff. Same thing about going to church. If, if you know, you go to church all the time when one of the parents is there, but when, the other, when that parent is gone, you stay home from church. The family stays home from church. What message does that send to the kids? You know, one of the greatest um, stumbling blocks of a child is when he's got two choices to choose from. You know, the idea, the call of um, parents is to, to put before their child the path of Christ and say, walk therein. But what often happens is that really there's two paths put before a child. And that child then has an option. They know that. It might even be, it might be a father and a mother, but it might be an older sibling. It might be a favorite uncle or a grandparent. But in my experience, Whenever you have another alternative that is put before the kids, and sometimes it's necessary, sometimes you don't have any choice. I'm not saying that you should try, you should avoid it at all costs, because sometimes that's just the situation God puts you in. But that situation does provide for the kids an option. It says to them, it's your choice. It's optional whether you follow Christ. Or follow your own path. It's up to you. It it speak it whispers that option in their ear. Now, obviously, that option's there anyway. And many kids that grow up with only one option put before them, I can tell you by experience, still find another path. So it's not anything absolute. But when I when you see a kid growing up. In where there's two obvious options, it doesn't take much 
of fleshliness in their hearts to say, ah, I have another option. You know, my, my parents were divorced when I was in high school. And my mom was unhappy in the marriage for a long time before they divorced. What precipitated the divorce? A man took an interest in my mom, man in our Unitarian church, took an interest in my mom and whispered in her ear basically that he was available if she ever decided to end her marriage. And that then all of a sudden she had an option. She had another path. And that led to their, to their divorce. And, um, and it, so it's the same thing. It's just a psychological thing when there's another option. And so it's really important that the parents stand together and, st and step up in each other's absence when one person can't be there to fulfill their, their job, their duty. And, um, and so this is what I call vicing, being the wife being the vice husband, the husband being the vice wife, the mom being the vice husband, father, the father being the vice uh, mother. And uh, that doesn't mean you get any uh, special kudos on Mother's Day, guys, by the way. Okay. Um, and this me this, how do you do this? Well, one of the ways you do it is you, you help each other. So um, when... When you're doing your, when one person's doing their thing, the other person lends a hand sometimes. Not all the time, but it helps. That's, this is the best way to learn how to do something. You know, so there's a lot of men. And I know this by personal experience because when, um, you know, my parents got divorced, um, my dad couldn't cook his way out of a paper bag. And, uh, and so we had to learn together. The two of us were left alone in the house. Two of us had to learn how to cook. We started with TV dinners, you know, put them in the oven for this long, peel the thing back and eat. But then we had to learn to cook. And the way to learn to cook is to practice, to do it. And th there's a lot of men, you know, heating water in the microwave is as far as their culinary abilities go. And, but, you know, sometimes your wife is, you know, sometimes it's a hard job to cook. You're doing five things at once. Well, just come in and, and start and help. Do something that helps her, and then you learn to do it too, so that the next time you're able to do it when she's not available. So, uh, it's a great way to serve. It's a great way to support. It's a great way to learn so that you can fill in. Um, same thing with laundry. Everybody ought to know how to use the washing machine, how to use the dishwasher, how to load and unload dishwasher and laundry, where st stuff goes. Um, you know, one person shouldn't be burdened with telling the other person where things go every single time through life. You know, you, you learn where it goes and then you don't have to ask and you can serve. 
The same thing with a car. You know, um, you need to know the basics of what to do with as a car problem. Who to call or ask or talk to. You know, what to do if you're stuck on the side of the road with a flat tire or a broken down car. You need to have that knowledge. You can't just hope that you'll never need it. You've got to be, you know, it's, you don't want, it's, it's, being dependent on each other isn't all bad. But there's a certain kind of dependence that is bad. Where you can't function without the other person. That's not a good thing. The fact is, God has not planted you in a world where he's guaranteed that your spouse is always going to be at your side. A lot of people can't bear to even contemplate life apart from their spouse or you know but the fact is there are a lot of people who won't contemplate it who then are faced with it just not thinking about it doesn't prevent it from happening and what do you you know we can't be superstitious that if we think about it we're going to cause it somehow you know we're going to bring it to pass because we've contemplated it I mean we're not Superstitious people were Christians. And contemplating possibilities like that is, not an, is a healthy thing to do. Um, grocery shopping is another good example. Um, you need to know how to be able to shop and get stuff, no matter what, whether that's your regular job or not. And you need to be able to, um, you know, stop by on your way and pick up something for the other person. If, even if it's not your main job to do the grocery shopping. Okay, let me uh, open this up and just uh, see if you have any thoughts, any questions about role, the roles in marriage, and also and in the household, and also the whole idea of being um, the vice spouse. There was a conversation at work this week in a general way about this. And I kind of stood aloof because I was, it was, I don't want to use the word fascinated, but it was fascinating in the sense that I was kind of, kind of collecting what I heard various people say about their idea of marriage. And, and it, it's very interesting kind of thinking about what, you're, what we're talking about today in the context of those conversations. Is there is a, it's very popular now, especially with all of the be yourself, you can do whatever you dream, and the ultra feminist kind of movement of getting away from responsibility to others. You have your first responsibility to yourself. Right. That sort of thing. And how people were talking about, oh, well, I don't do that. Or I make my, you know, I do this and it doesn't, you know, and it was these very hard chiseled lines. 
I don't do windows. I don't do that. <laughs> right. Or, and there were literally these kind of uh, no man's zones, right? Like uh, in a battle where, well, then who does that? Right. And you could just sense. It actually, for a moment, kind of made me sad because I started imagining a lot of these younger couples who were really have only been married probably at the most five, six years, maybe. Um, if you if you really hold those views, the road is going to it's going to take you your marriage in a place that, that's not good, and it's right. really sad because yes, that's the common thing. Yes. So let me respond to that by saying that um, th th right now, th um, with radical feminism going on, you hear a lot of that kind of stuff. And it's easy to react and say, that's very wrong, that's very unchristian. But the first thing we need to do is think about how they got there and realize that a lot of times, in, and even corporately, as a as a gender, women, they've experienced that from men for centuries and millennium. You know, this I'm not going to do this, and 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 basically all they're doing is finally pushing back, and and that's that's how they're thinking. A lot of times to us, it sounds like they're the ones that are starting it. But the fact is, they're not starting it. They're wounded. They're people that have been abused and, and, and grown and just corporately, even if an individual hasn't been. Corporately, they have been. So it, to just come out against it strongly just makes them feel you're just... Another one of those men who wants to put me in my place. Yeah, right. Yeah, they don't. They don't really have any any kind of ideological foundation upon which they're building a relationship. You know, they don't. It's it's all quicksand. Yitka. Sure. It's not like the men are not hearing it, 
it's so ingrained in the culture, which starts with, like you were saying, in Africa. It's just like, when I go there, I'm like, you just can't change them. They hear it, they think about, no, this is how they were raised. So when I got pregnant with Philip, I was like, what am I going to do about it? And the way I'm trying to raise him is like, I want to raise him to be the husband that is the perfect husband for the woman. Like, so I think it then trickles down to the children. It's really like, what do we do with the boys that we're raising so that in the future they have a lot of different patterns how to become the better husbands rather than these traditional roles that were preset them. So I think in America, the way it is right now, how bad it looks, trust me, it's better than it's in other countries as far as equal roles. But it doesn't mean that we cannot work on it, but it's still going to take like the time, right? That's how we raise our children. So next, our sons are better, and then their sons are better. Sure. And view it like that. Sure. So I don't know. Yep. <laughs> That's my point <clears throat> Very good. Um, let me piggyback a little bit more on, on uh, something else. You know, with the obviously Roe versus Wade has been in the news a lot. And, uh, and, you know, the possibility of it being overturned is, um, you know, right in front of us. And it makes a lot of people angry. And it's really easy for us to um, react against that because we have reason to be angry too. I mean, at the, at the injustice that's been going on now for decades and um, and yet, it's um, you know to me it's just foolish to just have shouting matches. And what you don't hear enough of, in my opinion, is people who apologize for um, being in some way a part of. What got you to the, be the where, where you are on this? You know, for instance, um, the the whole issue of who has to bear the burden if a woman gets pregnant outside of marriage. Our society pretty much absolves the man of much responsibility. He pretty much gets off scot-free and she's stuck with it. And, and what have we done to, to demand changes in that area? You know, why is, why is it the woman that, that is responsible? It should be, you know, like um, right now I heard that in one... Um, location, I can't remember where it is, one location they're trying to pass a law where a, a rapist has to pay child support until the child's 18 years old. So it's not just that he gets punished somehow for raping, but he's got to play. So that's a criminal thing, which is definitely hard. You know, the, the amount of men that actually get punished is a tiny percentage 
of the amount of rapes that actually go on. So that's a difficult road. But in a civil sense, which is an easier path to get someone, hold someone accountable, they are responsible to provide child support for 18 years. Well, you know, that seems to me a very reasonable kind of law, but, you know, they're just men in our country just haven't been zealous to make sure that men are bearing their weight of the irresponsibility that is behind most out-of-wedlock pregnancies. Now, behind all out-of-wedlock pregnancies, at least on one side, but then um, sometimes it's both. So, um, you know, that to me is, when we approach the whole question of Roe versus Wade, we ought to be um, recognized that there is a sense in which, even though they've reacted wrongly, there's a sense in which men drove women to this point. And, uh, and that's very sad. And we ought not stick up for men like men are the right ones here and women are the, the ones who are doing the wrong thing by, by pushing back. Just two cents of thought bordering on the political, but not really political. Societal. As a thought. Okay, let's pray. Oh Lord, these are important things and we thank you for the chance to talk about them. And we pray for your wisdom and your guidance as we seek in our own homes to live out the life of Christ. And we pray for glad hearts to serve each other in love. That we would be slow to worry about our own conveniences or our own preferences and instead be passionate to love others and honor you thereby. Now, Lord, we thank you for the chance that we have to worship you coming up and we pray for your blessing on it, that our hearts would burst with joy and with praise as we come into your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.